Hi, I'm Rico Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And last week, we told you about the easiest way ever to donate 10 bucks to our show. Yes. You just text the word radio to 25383, and a $10 charge will appear in your phone bill. Additional texts and data rates may apply. Very professional. I've been practicing. Well done. But should you care to give more than 10 bucks, people, you can do so the old-fashioned way through our website. The yes. Ain't, the Ain't Ye old website. Yeah, websites are now old-fashioned, apparently. Just go to dinnerpartydownload.org, click on Contribute, and there you can donate up to infinity dollars. Infinity is an old-fashioned notion. That's right. Well, Google dollars was trademarked. On the other hand, in the time it took you to listen to us bannering about those instructions, you could <laughs> have right. already sent us $10 by texting the word radio to 25383. Yes. So you decide, convenience or munificence? Wow. That's right, man. Munificence. That's more than a $10 word. That deserves a, a text and a web. Now there is an idea. Yes. And here's your icebreaker. Halloween joke. What kind of dessert does a ghost order? What? Scarret cake. <laughs> I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Matt Elkin with help from his band, the So-So Glows. With a so-so joke. In French, that'd be the come see joke. That's right. Coming up, Robert Reich, Babies Online, Talkies, Corpse Survivors, Illegal Eats, and a Small Black Search Party. But first, time for Small Talk. So, Rico, I thought we could do something different this week and play Guess What Happened in the News. Let's do it. All right, first one. The story of a brilliant but socially challenged man who abandons his friend to meet his destiny. The social network uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Nope. Rahm Emanuel leaves the White House to run for mayor of Chicago. Ah. All right, here's another one. A guy who attacked a public space in the New York metro area makes headlines. Uh... Times Square bomber, he got sentenced to life in prison. Nope. Governor Chris Christie killed the Hudson River Tunnel Project. That was going to be my second guess. All right, last try. Come on. Millionaires compete publicly while saying nothing. Campaign debates in California and Connecticut. Actually, I was going to say Major League Playoffs, but that works too. <laughs> I well think done. it does. <laughs> uh, for stories with only one meaning, everyone, we turn to our colleagues at Marketplace. Adrian Hill, sustainability reporter for Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, I'm going to be talking about the fact that Costco is selling a year's supply of dehydrated food for all those survivalists out there for 800 bucks. <laughs> and let me guess, it comes with the, uh-oh, something really bad happened cookbook? It does. No, but it also, you know, maybe if you're not a survivalist, good thing to think about if you're just a really lazy grocery shopper. I love it. Just like once a year, it's all done. Saves a ton of time. Sayonara, Trader Joe's. <laughs> exactly. John Haas, editor, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? There's an amusement park in England that is being picketed by clowns. <laughs> Why? Well, they're having a Halloween display called the Carnival of Screams where they have a bunch of killer clowns running around in the park. And the clowns think they're being misrepresented? Yeah, I mean, after Stephen King's It and uh, Poltergeist, you know, clowns have a bad reputation. I mean... I support protests, but are there not, like, draconian austerity measures that people can be <laughs> protesting in Europe right now? That's true, but you got to treat them with respect, because if you don't, they'll hunt you down and kill you. <laughs> Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter for Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, there's a new study out that found that more than 90% of U.S. toddlers have an online presence. <laughs> this could explain Twitter. Yes, and one in four unborn babies also have an online presence, like an email address or a social, like a Facebook page or something. Status update. It's dark and cramped in here. 
And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is that gum from the 80s with syrup inside, except instead of syrup, it's booze. (laughs) Awesome. Anyway, first, the history. This week, back in 1927, the movie The Jazz Singer premiered. Now, some folks at your dinner party may know it was the first feature film with actual dialogue. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here with a few things they won't know. The Jazz Singer saved a movie studio and killed its CEO. His name was Sam Warner, one of the four brothers behind Warner Brothers. Back then it was a struggling studio and its biggest star was a dog, Rin Tin Tin. Sam was determined to change that with something called Vitaphone. It was a process that synced sound from a record with images on a screen. No one thought it was a big deal, even Sam's brothers, especially after they released the first Vitaphone feature, Don Juan. It had sound effects, a music score, and it raked in tons of cash. Just not as much as it cost to make. The studio was nearly broke. But not for long. The Jazz Singer opened on October 6, 1927, and the audience went nuts when singer Al Jolson uttered the first line of dialogue in any feature film. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. It was a blockbuster. Warner Brothers hit the big time. Sam didn't live to see it, though. He'd been so busy with the movie, he hadn't cared for his abscessed teeth, which infected his brain and killed him the night before the jazz singer's debut. So that was the kind of sad history. Now for the drink to serve along with it. On the line is Maxwell Britton. He's a bartender at Freeman's Restaurant in the Lower East Side of New York City where the jazz singer is set. Max, what drink does the story inspire you to make? I was really touched by the story of Sam Warner. Yeah. So it made me want to kind of do something in a celebration, and obviously champagne would lead somebody to celebrate. Oh, that's very nice. Right. To c- celebrate a life instead of being sad about the death. Of course. Also, just to bring a little bit more of the irony into it, this is kind of just a variation of a classic cocktail called the Corpse Survivor Number 2. <laughs> Corpse, uh, the Corpse Reviver? Yeah, and it kind of ties into Sam Warner because of the Vitaphone, bringing the actors more life. Nice. And uh, how is this made? So the Corpse Survivor is gin, fresh lemon juice, Cointreau, Lillet Blanc, and absinthe. All right. The cocktail that I'm doing is essentially the same ingredients topped off with champagne, or as some people might call it, a Corpse Survivor Royale. Well, that's lovely. But I, I do have one suggestion, though. What's that? The character in the movie is the son of a cantor who becomes a pop star. Right. So could you replace the champagne with, like, Manischewitz? Sure. <laughs> no, <Why> you not? <laughs> can't. <laughs> How about we do a Manischewitz back? <laughs> yeah, why not? We can do that. So, Rico, here's something interesting. Yeah? That drink with champagne is called the Corpse Reviver Royale. Yes. But with Manischewitz, it's called a Corpse Reviver Moyle. <laughs> <laughs> Oy. No one can resist a drink with 10% off. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, send your upsetting puns to our <laughs> website. It's dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guest of honor this week is Robert Reich. He was President Clinton's Secretary of Labor. He's now a professor at Berkeley. His new book is called Aftershock, The Next Economy and America's Future. Professor Reich, in this book you say that the Great Depression and the recent recession were both caused by too few people having too much wealth. How does that work? Brendan, the problem was that when so much of the nation's income is held by so few people, 
the vast middle class and working class simply don't have enough purchasing power left to buy all the goods and services the economy is capable of producing without going deeper and deeper into debt. And eventually that debt bubble bursts. Well, one obvious solution would be to raise taxes on the very wealthy. But let's be honest, America has become increasingly anti-tax and politicians are just simply afraid to go there. Well, I believe that what is eventually going to happen is exactly what happened in the 1930s and 40s, and that is that people at the top come to understand that they will be better off with a smaller share of a rapidly growing economy than they are with a larger share of an economy that is basically dead in the water or has a very, very difficult time getting out of the gravitational pull of the Great Recession uh, simply because there are not enough people in the middle uh, who have enough money uh, to keep it going. But it's not the rich as much as it is the middle to lower classes in this country who make it politically impossible to raise taxes, even if it would make sense for them. Many people in the middle have understandably decided that they don't want to pay any more taxes. They feel that they're overtaxed. Their incomes in real terms, adjusted for inflation, have not increased at all over the last 30 years. They're beginning to understand, though, that if people at the top don't pay their fair share, then the tax burden for defense and for everything else we want to do as a society and need to do is going to fall on them. What gives you optimism that we're going to be able to kind of right the ship? Oh, I'm enormously optimistic. I, you know, look back in American history, and every time we really understand the nature of a problem, we put ideology aside, we Americans, and we get on with what has to be done. Uh, in the first decade of the 20th century, uh, we cleaned up politics, we attacked the trusts, and we will when we understand what must be done now. Uh, it may take uh, a year or two or three. We will understand what has to be done, and we'll do it. Well, we have two standard questions that we ask every guest of honor on our show. And, and the first question is, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? <laughs> well, I, I guess that I, I'm often asked, and in connection with this book, one of the questions you asked, which is, how would we ever get a politics uh, that would permit this? Yeah, because when you pick up the paper these days, it seems highly unlikely. Well, I tell a lot of people, and including especially my students, they've got to understand American history. Because if you just look at the one or two or three years around you, there is a tendency to be a little bit cynical. Well, our second question is the opposite of that. Tell us something we don't know, some unknown information about you or the world at large that we could use and share at a dinner party to kind of dazzle people. Uh, let's see. I've written a couple of plays. Really? Yeah, they've been put on. Uh, there was a debut of a comedy I wrote recently called Public Exposure. Huh. A very risque uh, comedy. In fact, uh, one woman who saw it came out of the theater and saw me and said, you should be ashamed of yourself. What about the play would make her say that? Well, I'm not going to tell you <laughs> because I, I don't want others to say the same thing. Okay. Um, well, some cynics might say that your new book, which suggests that the rich might be willing to close the income gap, is also a comedy. Oh, uh, well, no. <laughs> So, Rico, can you guess who people think the play Public Exposure was inspired by? Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's about a guy running for president who can't keep his pants on. Oh, Thomas Jefferson? That's, that's really interesting. <laughs> You're half right. <laughs> the Jefferson part, at least. Ladies and gentlemen, you can send your guesses to our website. It's dinnerpartydownload.org. Don't 
So we heard from our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. So, Brendan, we all have some food we feel like we really shouldn't eat, right? Really? Well, yeah. Veal is one for me. Oh, days. those sorts, yeah. Endangered bluefin tuna. Maybe crow. We have a... I don't like to eat crow. I've noticed that. <laughs> or humble pie. But there's plenty of food we are not allowed to eat, literally. Liz Williams is a lawyer and president of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Is that a real museum? It's a great museum, actually. And she is about to publish the first ever Encyclopedia of Food and Law. The other day she told me about some food items that are now or will soon be legally banned. Like, for instance... Foie gras. No. No. (laughs) I like foie gras. (laughs) Well, you live in California, where in 2012, it will be against the law to raise and sell foie gras. Why is that? There is a belief that it is cruel to the ducks and geese to force feed them to engorge their livers with fat. (laughs) What could possibly be cruel about that? Well, on the other hand... (laughs) If you think about the slaughterhouses that do beef or pork, which have constantly been considered cruel. No one's talking about banning those. Nobody's talking about those. And, you know, the quantity of food you're talking about is so much more enormous than the small amount of foie gras that is produced. But that's not something that anybody is really fighting because they're a bigger and more difficult target. What's uh, second on this meal of the band? I'm almost afraid to ask. Well, we can talk about animals that are eaten in other places, but that we consider pets. Right, like dogs. Dogs are eaten in places in in Asia. Uh, Of course, eating pets usually falls under animal cruelty in the United States. But the thing that comes to mind is rabbit, right? You see that on menus everywhere. That's right. But uh, there are plenty of people here who keep rabbits as pets. Are there states where you can't have rabbit for dinner? It's not that you can't have rabbit for dinner, but you can't kill the pet rabbit to make it into dinner. So basically you can't take, if you've been, you know, raising up Fluffy from infancy and your child loves it, you're not allowed to kill it and put it in a stew. But if you go out into the woods and find fluffy running around and shoot it with a shotgun, you can put it in the stew? Yeah, I mean, that's actually true in some states. It depends on how pet is defined. All right, shall we end this meal with something a little less uh, disturbing, shall we say? (laughs) Um, Grilled hot dogs and bacon in California cannot be bought from a roadside stand. That is a craziness. (laughs) I mean, you can buy grilled hot dogs wrapped in bacon, just not from a roadside stand. Why is that? It's really a protectionist law as opposed to one based on health or anything rational. So it protects the, you know, restaurants that serve hot dogs? That's right. That's right. So it's the Wiener Schnitzel law, basically. Exactly. But wait a minute. Actually, there are people that sell those things outside basically every nightclub in Los Angeles. I see them probably every night. Those are illegal? Yes. And they're being raided all the time. Am I an accomplice if I eat one of those things? It's not against the law to eat it. It's only against the law to sell it. So you're safe. (laughs) So, Rico, I spent a little time in the legal field. That's right. You have a JD, right? Yeah, but strangely, there's a loophole in the law that says it's not illegal to force feed your pet to a vendor as long as it's wrapped in bacon. (laughs) It's true. I, I did not know that. Yeah, that's where hot dogs come from. This is the law. 
And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Special thanks to Jackson Musker, Celeste Wesson, Kevin Bunkley, Eve Abrams, and Ravi Carmen. Woo! Big crew this week. They're all worth it. Now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's Dinner Party. The band is called Small Black. The song is called Search Party. They have a new album coming out later this month on Jag Jaguar. Bon appétit. Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And remember, for a convenient way to kick us 10 bucks, text RADIO to the number 25383. The $10 charge will appear on your mobile bill. Additional message and data rates may apply. Or if your personage is at present imbued with feelings munificent, proceed via browser to the system of interlinked hypertext documents known colloquially as the Internet and bestow upon us a kingly benefaction at dinnerpartydownload.org. Nicely said. Eh, I winged it.